Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. And with me, Kevin Roth, who is a coach, but um, with something of a fascinating um, background. So, Probably best if I just say hi, Kevin, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Glad to be with you. Great. And where in the world are you today? I'm in beautiful San Diego, California. Ah. That looks like the scene behind you, but I know it isn't. <laughs> Actually, I'm coming out to San Diego in a couple of months, so I shall, I shall be holding oh. you to that, that challenge. All right. <laughs> I hear a lunch date there. Okay. Well, that's, I'm very up for that. Well, tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I, I'm a, I am a life coach. I started out as a dulcimer player, a musician in 1974, and up to 2015 accumulated about 50 record albums and a TV show. Uh, actually, I sang the theme to a hit TV show here in the States based on an English uh, children's product. It was Thomas the Tank Engine. Oh, yeah. So the show, yeah. So the show here was called Shining Time Station and it starred Ringo and it had George Carlin. So I sang the theme to that and I had a children's music career and uh, everything was kind of rumbling along as it does uh, in the music business. Um, some challenges when the internet came along and people stopped buying music and just downloading it. And then in 2015, I had uh, an existential crisis. I was out of the blue diagnosed with stage three melanoma and given a death sentence. Ah. They said I'd be alive for about two years. And I didn't agree with them and I ended up being right. And so I sort of took my life in my own hands and said, I'm gonna change the story. I'm going to leave uh, Kansas, where I was living at the time. I'm going to go to California and live my bohemian lifestyle as I see fit. And if I do end up dying, at least it'll be in a very beautiful, warm place. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And so I came to California after a quite turbulent year of trying to stay alive and understand a world of cancer which i never thought in a million years i would ever even have to think about mm. it was that kind of thing that happened to other people but not yeah. me you know mm. so uh, a few years into california someone suggested i become a life coach and teach people what i did to change their lives and drop stress and create a life that they really love um 
and I didn't quite know what a life coach was, so I Googled it, and it honestly repulsed me. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, no, 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 no. But I ended up teaching the dulcimer in a meditative style and becoming a life coach, but did it in my own way, which is using spirituality and science Mm -hmm. as a way of talking to people about understanding life and creating um, a life that they really love. And it's been a blast and I've been quite successful at it. I have a uh, an online course that some people take on Teachable. I think it's Captain uh, yes. slash Teachable. Um, and I work with people over Zoom all around the world. Brilliant. Oh, that's a great um, introduction. Let's, let's unpack some of that, if I may. Um, you better tell us a little bit, for those who don't understand, a little bit about that, that world, the musical world you're in uh, and the instrument you were playing. And I'm a great believer that musicians have a, an unfair advantage when it comes to having resilience. And um, maybe we'll talk about that in a bit more depth, but maybe if you could just unpack that a little bit more for us to start off with. Well, when I was third, you know, I, I had a very unusual life. I, I, I just have sort of a mystical life anyway. You know, my mother had her tubes tied after my sister was born, and then three years later I appeared. So it started out that way. And at thir- I was born musical. I played the piano by ear. And then at 13, I saw the mountain dulcimer. It's called the Appalachian Mountain Dulcimer. Hmm. In fact, I have one here. I'll show it to you. And I just fell in love with it. So something went off in me and said, you know, this is uh, an instrument that you should learn to play. It sounds very pretty. And it's very simple. And I created... Um, I had a vision that I would just become kind of well-known, make a living from it, and that came true. Um, I signed with a record company called Folkway Records and did one of a dozen albums to start out. But it was thought of, and still is in some circles, as a traditional folk instrument. But I didn't know anything about its history, so I played it like I would a guitar or a piano and played somewhere over the rainbow and things. And that's what got me a record deal because I was doing something so unusual. So they called me one of the world's innovative dulcimer players, which really was, I, it was true, but only because I wasn't told that there was a way to play it, thankfully. And, and do, you, do you put any of your current success down to being musical or being a musician? Do you think, do you think there is an advantage to having that musical gene in a person? Yeah, absolutely because it's, first of all, it's right brain. Uh, the, the second thing is that it gives me a niche. I mean, I don't know how, how many coaches use the dulcimer in their sessions. You know, I teach people to play it. And it also teaches you resilience because, uh, you know, it's very hard to make a living as a musician unless you're very well known or you want to play a lot of bars, which I don't. So it teaches you, if you have a business sense, how to create something out of nothing. Um, and music is healing, and music speaks louder than words. Yeah. Um, so I think it was a huge advantage, and it still is. My my first handful of clients were dulcimer players. Really? Yes, that makes sense. Yeah. I yeah. think I think there's something about um, and there's something about um, parents who have children. I mean, there's the the old adage is you, you need to teach them to dance, 
and you need to get them to play some sort of musical instrument, even if they don't play it for the rest of their lives. There's that neuroplasticity that comes from it. But it, but it also teaches you to recover from mistakes, isn't it? Because musicians make mistakes. And um, whether you're a jazz musician, it makes it sound seamless because you're impro improving your way out of it or you're a, you know, an early music music. I mean, a lot of dul dulcimer people, um, you know, were on the early mu music site and it's all very, you know, getting it right yeah. is, is so key. Yeah. And, and, and actually understanding how you come back from a bad gig, you know, where people don't applaud. I mean, it's very visceral. It's very, it's like comedy, isn't it? If, if people aren't laughing, it's not working. If people don't clap at the end, it's it's pretty gut-wrenching, isn't it, to 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 not get it right? Well, I've never had that happen. I just, I don't know why. Uh, I was always lucky. People always liked me. They bought my records and yeah. they stood up at the end. Every single concert, they stand up at the end. Every single concert, whether it was because they liked me or because they were just leaving, but they always stood up. <laughs> it went through my mind that they were leaving. <laughs> Right. Yes, that's, you know, I say, I say to my dulcimer students, it's not a mistake, it's jazz. And I'm also right. an abstract painter. And I tell people there are no mistakes. That's and right. An ape and an elephant can use paint. So, yeah. you know, I stay but I think, in the state. But, but that's a great message, isn't it, for people that actually what we class as being mistakes is usually someone else's judgment about us. And actually, you just have to. You have to figure out what you want in life and you need to just go yeah. and get it. And I think it's interesting yeah. that you use the cancer as a as a fulcrum to change where you were. Um, I, I think it should be taught in schools like math and science. I think if more people were artists or musicians, we would have less Vladimir Putins in the world. Well, he's a very famous judo um, practitioner, as we know. That's not musical. Um, but I think the arts is just a wonderful thing it's, to have and everybody can be artistic. That's one of the things I teach as a coach. I actually have a course in how to be an artist. And the, and the bizarre thing, of course, is that the more artistic skills you teach, you actually get better accountants and actuaries and insurance brokers and such like because, because of the way the brain works. So it's, it's, it's absolutely a win. You know, it's not any money. Yeah. It's never wasted money. Um, you know, so it's just that music's very poor at putting a return on investment figure from its own efforts, which is a bit of a shame, really. So the cancer mm. that obviously, obviously, cancer, cancer is a shattering diagnosis. I mean, you know, we're not going to trivia, trivialize this, but um, you said you you knew it wasn't, or you said you thought it wasn't what what had been diagnosed. What what was going through your mind at that point? Well, I had had sort of a psychic vision about a year before this happened that I would have a major illness. I, I tend to be psychic empathic that way. But I didn't know what it was because, you know, I was a guy that ate pretty well, worked out. I was one of the few folk singers that did bodybuilding. You know, you usually wow. don't think of folk singers as bodybuilding, usually guzzling beer. Um, so I was in really great health. But I, I'm quite sure that it was the stress that I was under during those last three years before melanomic showed up that caused the illness because stress and inflammation are killers. Mm. So you have to really know how to handle stress, which is one of the things I teach. And you have to know about what to eat and what not to eat in balance. So the melanoma was a real spiritual kick in the ass because when you're given a death sentence, you have to really think 
what's important? If I only have two years to live, what do I want to do? And the fame and the fortune no longer matters. Um, And uh, for me, what mattered was making music and hanging out with my dog and going to California and sort of living a bohemian life. Yeah. And uh, I just rejected their diagnosis. I just said, what, you know, what had happened is they had removed a, a lymph node oh. and a little spot on my nose. And then they scanned me and then the cancer had not spread. So then we waited a year to see if it would come back and it never did. And I said, well, I'm, I'm out of this story. I kind of mentally and emotionally left the story uh, when they told me I was going to die because I just didn't believe it. I think that people know when they're going to die. I think people know when these things are going to happen, especially if you study near-death experiences. There's a wonderful guy, I think, in your part of the world, Peter Fenwick. I think he's a psychiatrist, and he studies near-death experiences. He's a psychiatrist, fascinating guy. But he talks about how people with near-death experiences, they know before they're going to die, usually that they are. So I, I knew that I would probably live into my 80s. And I just changed the story, like I changed the channel. And you talked this, about the word story quite a few times. So do you want to, so this is obviously part of your method. So do you want to talk us a bit, talk us around that a bit? Well, you know, nothing's really real. Nothing's nailed down. Uh, even quantum physics tells you that nothing exists. That's science. In spirituality, whether it's Jesus or Buddha or the um, Hindus or um, the Upanishads, they all tell you that nothing exists either, that this world is a dream, an illusion. So if you think about what is real, the only thing, what's real doesn't come and go, it doesn't change. So what only thing is real is what you would call God or the, um, you know, uh, you know, the substratum or whatever you want to call it. And we have absolutely no idea how to define that thing called consciousness. There's, there's no way to know it. You can find out about a lot of it through watching near-death experience videos, but when you realize that nothing lasts and nothing really matters and everything passes, including your body at some point, um, you get out of the story of, oh, I I hate my job, I hate my partner, uh, I hate this, I hate that, um, I don't like this, I don't like that. and. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So I said, when I had the cancer thing, I said, I'm gonna go live and watch surfers in California. And if I drop dead, well, so be it. But I'm not living this life where, you know, I walk into a cancer ward and see people half dead on chemotherapy. I said, that's not me. It's not, and I rejected it. So we create stories. Every day we wake up and we create a story. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a bad day. Yeah. And as proof of this, and, and you know this because you're a coach, that you could be in a really bad mood and the phone rings and it's a friend you haven't heard from in a long time. And suddenly you're in a whole other dimension. So what happened to all that drama that was ruining your life? Yeah. Boom, it's gone. Yeah. So when you look at that with what I call mindful awareness and you take your time and you contemplate this stuff, you realize that you really shouldn't get upset about much of anything, which takes down the stress level. Plus there's techniques like breathing. 
but the story is the story. You know, I mean, COVID was re is real. Uh, is that a made-up illusion? Well, in this world, it's what's happening in the world, in the dream world. So you do what you should do. You get your shots and all that kind of stuff. But you learn to live in balance and you don't get carried away. So every day, I just create a different story for myself. I say, this is what I want to do. And this is how I want to feel. So that's easy to say, but you need to do certain things. Mm. You need to eat right. You need to get plenty of rest. You need to exercise. You need to do some form of meditation, prayer, or reading, or something creative. And you need to get out of the illusion that money buys happiness. Because I got real rich on my music at one point, and I was miserable. Yeah. Uh, then I lost most of it with investments, which you know, that was back in 1999. And then I, I started to make a, what, what I guess you would call normal living. But I, I live very simply, very happily. Um, and uh, that's what I do, you know. That's and, what I teach. Yes. And, and so I, I mean, it's interesting because I've spoken to a lot of coaches and a lot of people talk about the narrative of the story. And it, it is fascinating how you'll meet people in their early 50s, perhaps, they're sitting in the middle of a corporate. Um, they're doing what they do. They're sort of quite um, cut off from the real world, from themselves. Um, they've got a narrative which is, you know, I'm going to sit here and eke this out and then I'm going to retire. And then I'll say to them, what are you going to do when I'm going to retire? When you retire, and they say, well, I'm going to rent, you know, live my life. And I say, well, why don't you start now? Mm -hmm. And there's something in that, isn't there, which is what you did, because far too many people get to them, then, you know, they, they leave organizations, they have a stroke and they, they're disabled or incapacitated or die. And, and there, there is this balance, isn't there, between planning for the future and actually learning to live your life today, because otherwise, what's life for? Yeah, you, you know, out here in San Diego, there's a thing called Sunset Cliffs. There are all these rocks right on the ocean and people walk along and it's very beautiful. Right across the street are multi-million dollar houses. Yeah. Really beautiful houses. And then right across the street, right where the cliffs are, are vans, hippie vans, with these guys with their doors open and their laptops. Their view is the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. And the waves crashing. And they're listening to reggae and probably smoking some weed, who knows? who knows? And they have the same view that the people, you know, two, three, four hundred feet away from them. And so they have figured out, I don't need an office job. I don't need a lot. Uh, you know, I'm happy to live in, in, my, in my van. That's not for everybody. But when you figure out what really matters to you and why, then everything else falls into place. Yeah. So you don't need to, um, you know, you don't need a big house and a big mortgage and all that kind of stuff. You need yeah. to really be happy. Yeah. And, and, that's, and, and, and that's fascinating, isn't it? Because you, you talk to people who, and I remember years ago working on a project and it was a loathsome project. I, absolutely, it was horrendous and um, it was making me a lot of money. And um, but I had to keep going on holidays to recover from the, the terrible piece of work. And so I used to have more and more grand holidays, which I absolutely adored. And then, because of course you'd have to have grand holidays to come back to this 
vile work. And of course, what happened in the end, you sort of work, realize that without the work, I wouldn't need the holidays. And, and because with the I was only having the holidays because of the work. And I think people lose sight of the, the real game, don't they? They lose sight of, and I like your use of the word story because that, that was my story. And sometimes you have to turn a page, don't you? Or burn a book or whatever the metaphor might be. But you, you have to recreate your life on a regular basis. Daily, even throughout the day. Right. You know, when you play a guitar or a dulcimer, you have to retune it throughout the day if you play it yeah, because of temperature. Well, we're like that. We need to retune ourselves throughout the day. Yeah. You know, I don't know a lot of people that can just sit and have a cup of tea or coffee without checking their cell phone or the computers. Just yeah. people don't know how to be. They just don't know how to sit and be. Yeah. And we have an inner voice, a guidance that will talk to us if we're quiet enough to listen. Silence is really uh, uh, an inexpensive, free, wonderful tool. Yes. But people aren't comfortable with themselves anymore. Well, people with anxiety, people with those sorts of issues, the people that are grasping their phones, they've, they've lost touch with who they are, haven't they? Your point about being. But that somehow they've been they've been chemically hijacked as well by the the use of phones, and this is your point about inflammation and stress. I'm guessing because, of course, by their very nature, those things are addictive, aren't they? So people get hooked on stress and inflammation, don't they? Yeah, yeah, we get addicted to pain. Yeah, uh, you know, some of my clients in, in the beginning always say, "Well, God, I want to change, but it's so hard," and I say, "It's harder to stay where you are." Yeah, because you're just addicted to pain. But when they realize that their life improves by working with my techniques, um, they're, you know, they're wonderfully grateful and they don't look at life the same way anymore. They just yes. don't. So tell me a bit you know, about these. I'll, I'll tell you, a, tell you an interesting story, just a real quick one. I had a, a client um, whose husband died uh, maybe 15 years ago. And she was very, very upset since then because she left the hospital just to get some rest mm. and he died and she felt guilty about it Yeah, for 15 years. So I worked with her and I told her to write a letter to this, to this guy and tell him everything she wanted to say, good, bad, and indifferent. Yell at him, curse him out, tell him you love him, whatever you need to do, and then burn the letter. Yeah. And the relief that this woman witnessed was remarkable. It's really, as a, as a musician, better than a standing ovation because when you see a client with tears in their eyes thanking you, it's, it's, it's marvelous. Now, of course, it wasn't that simple, but that was basically, she was able to let go and recover and realize that she didn't do a bad thing. She just went home to get some rest, but she carried that burden with her. So we have to drop a lot of the crap in our heads yeah. and say, I'm going to love myself and I'm going to be nice to myself and I'm going to give myself a break. And I never said that until cancer, yeah. which served me. I mean, you don't make 50 record albums sitting on your butt no. doing nothing. But when the cancer hit and the life sentence came, you know, then I said, you know, you have to really give yourself a break you've got to not blame yourself for this, but look at it and work with your body mind experience and change it. You know, you are not cancer. People have cancer 
they feel like they're cancer. They are not cancer. Their bodies are have, have this cancer thing going. We all have cancer in us. Of course. All yeah. of us. So some rise and some don't. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you have a choice, don't worry, be happy, like the song says. Yes. But I think that's the point, isn't it? People don't be, don't believe they have a choice because they've they've engineered the drama into their lives to be, you know, they, they have to suffer, they have to be victims, they have to, you know, fantasize their misery, we have to we have to grieve, we have to sit with that guilt because somehow that makes us worthy. Because like you say, pain pain is addictive and self-inflicted pain is the most addictive of all, I think. Mm, yeah. I think when when I learned to love myself, I became a nicer guy. So how did you do that? So, so I mean, at a practical level, people say things, those things like that a lot. But what did you actually do? Did you stop doing certain things and start? Or what was your process? Well, the first time was when I was walking through the apartment the day I was told that I had this cancer. And I said out loud to myself and my dog, um, don't worry, buddy, we'll get through this. And I didn't know for half a second who I was talking to. And then I realized there was a Kevin inside Kevin. And the second thing that nailed it for me was when I was talking to a nurse setting up some type of, it wasn't chemotherapy, but it was something. And in the middle of making this appointment, I just said to her, you know, I don't feel good about this. And she said, then don't do it. Oh. And I was shocked. Yeah. And she said, it's your body. If you don't feel good about it, don't do it. And I thought, here is a total stranger that talks to patients all day long, doesn't know me, and had more empathy for the way I felt than I did. Yeah. And then I thought, you know, you might as well just give yourself a break. I mean, God, Kevin, you know, you don't need another record. You don't need another TV show. You need to love yourself. You need to treat yourself like you're worth something. Yeah. It's not about the money. It's not, For me, it was about the money and fame, being a performer. Mm. Um, it was about really loving the music, loving my dog, and, you know, moving to California and, and living, you know, California is an expensive but a beautiful, beautiful state. And accepting um, the gifts of life. So when you taste that, yeah, one of my sayings as a coach is, when you um not only when you change the way you look at things the things you look at change but when you replace what doesn't work with what does work in your life you don't go back to what doesn't work yeah it's like if you go to some place to get a hamburger and you get indigestion you don't go back there you go to a different place yeah. so when you get a taste of being nice to yourself and it could be something as simple as taking a bubble bath and listening to your favorite music and turning your phone off you begin to feel like this is great. I'm a big believer in date nights with myself. Oh, nice. Good idea. Yeah. You know, I mean, I cook a nice dinner. Um, um, I'll take a bath. I'll play with my dog. Um, and I, I just, I call it taking a chill pill. I just, I just relax. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's not that I don't get upset and it's not that I don't have some stress and all that kind of stuff. Of course. But, but I'm it's a not very, true, yeah. yeah, I'm a very different person than I was if you knew me uh, five years ago. Yeah. Almost totally different. People who actually I haven't seen um, 
always common to me. Oh my God, you look great. And like, you're so like mellow. What happened? Mm. Because I was an A-type personality, you know? Yeah. And so what does the future hold for you? Oh, I would think wonderful things. <laughs> the future holds more music, more coaching. I'm writing a book called Belonging. Um, I, I started to eat crappy food and I've reversed that now because um, I do like my, my, uh, my cakes and my cookies. And they're okay in moderation, but not like I've been going. Uh, also to do more hikes. So this year... I plan on finishing the book and seeing more California, uh, doing more hiking and seeing what unfolds and also being continue to be mindful mm. and to trust that I'm alive. I really believe that I'm alive to teach this yeah. because I, there was a 70% chance I was going to be dead. That's a pretty high yeah. chance. So you have to ask, why did I make it when so many didn't? And I got into the coaching. It was just uh, sort of a spiritual gift. And it works, and people pay me for it, and I like it, and their lives change. It's a pretty good life. Yeah, very good life. And so how can people find out more about what you do? So you can go to my website, kevinroth.org. Uh, I do a free consultation, a 30-minute consultation, if you want to work with me and see if we're a match. And that's the best way. Is just You can get my email and hear about my music at kevinroth.org. Brilliant. And you said you were putting together an online course. Is that right? Was that my imagination? Well, it's up there. It's uh, kevinroth.teachable.com. It's an eight module. It's eight modules. And it, it goes over uh, the basics of what I teach. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thank you for spending time with us. I really like it. You've got some great turns of phrase. I'm very musical. Uh, needless <laughs> to say, very musical sort of slogans and chants and such like. I really love. And uh, thanks for spending time with us. And I wish you all the best with that book. And, and, you know, like many people, I'll be sitting here enviously looking at you and thinking about you sort of staring out into the Pacific as you um, sit in front of the bands so they don't well, you, obscure your view. Well, you, you'll be here soon. I will. I will be, I'll be checking those bands and having a look and seeing, uh, seeing how they look. Yeah. Well, I liked, I love talking to you and thanks for having me on. It's an absolute blast. Thanks ever so much, Kev. Take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.